I want you to fill in the blank for me, please. Fill in the blank. The Bible is what? How would you fill in that blank? Someone might say, well, the Bible is precious. That would be right. Someone might say, the Bible is true. Also right. Someone might say, the Bible is the Word of God. And that's correct as well. But then on the other hand, there might be someone who says, well, the Bible is just an interesting book. Or the Bible is a book that tells us some things about Jesus and about God, but it's not really something that God meant to take literally. It's not really something that's sort of a rule book, if you will. It's mostly just a book that speaks in generalities. I read an article from the Washington Post not long ago titled, It's Not Important If the Bible is True, What Matters Is That It's Real. And the argument that the writer makes is that the content of the Bible is a combination of historical information and imaginative information reinforced by theological and evangelistic agendas. And so the idea then, his thesis is that everything we read in the Bible has some things that are true and some things that are not true, but what really matters is the stories and the narratives that existed in the first 100 or so years of the church because those are the things that really define what Christianity is all about. It's no surprise to you that there are all kinds of different descriptions and ideas and views about what the Bible is, and most of those are wrong. But as it turns out, the best way to figure out what the Bible is is just to ask the Bible because it'll tell you. The Bible will define itself for us if we'll just let it. In our study of Psalm 119, you may have noticed as we've worked our way through some of this that there are a number of words that keep showing up over and over again. The writer uses interchangeably whenever he's talking about the Bible. He uses the word word, for example, but he also uses words like statute, like testimony, Uh, like law and uh, precept and a number of other words. And what I want us to recognize is that each one of these terms that are used in describing the Bible, they are important in and of themselves. They are synonymous and they are interchangeable. That's true. And they're all talking about the Bible, the Word of God. That's true as well. But each one of them, when we look at them closely, has its own definition, and they're all subtly different than each other. But the beautiful thing about it is that when we look at each of these words individually and then see how they all begin to work together, then we begin to see a real, true picture of what the Bible really is. Let's think about some of those words this evening. We probably won't have the time to look at all of them. The first word is sort of obvious, I suppose, but it's the word, word. Twenty-four times in Psalm 119, the psalmist describes the Bible as God's word. Your word, he says over and over again. He calls it the word of truth in verse number 43. He says, uh, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. You see, what the psalmist wants us to recognize first and foremost is that when we're reading the Bible, when we're reading God's word, we're reading that 
which is number one, trustworthy, and number two, which is reliable. In Psalm 119, verse 160, the psalmist says, the entirety of your word is truth. The whole thing from beginning to end, the psalmist says, is true. And that is one passage that will alone defeat many of the false ideas about the Bible that exist in our world. Just like the one I mentioned to you a moment ago from the uh, Washington Post article that said, well, there are some things in the Bible that are true and some things that are not, but that's not what the Bible says about itself. What the Bible says about itself is that the entirety of its contents are, are absolutely true, and that should bring us comfort because what that means is that there is nothing false and there is nothing misleading to be found in the Bible. You've heard the old saying that your word is your bond. And you know that there was a time in our culture when a person could just give their word as a guarantee that they were good for whatever agreement they were entering into. They could give their word and they could extend their hand and shake hands on it. And that was just as good and just as solid as anything else. That's not true so much anymore. But the principle, the principle of a person's word although people don't honor it, should still be honored in that way. Because a person's word and the way that a person decides, uh, the decisions that a person make reflect on who they are. I'll say that again. A person's word and the decisions that they make reflect on who they are. Well, God is truthful and God is faithful. And so therefore, God's word are, is truthful and God's word is faithful. And that's one of the things that the psalmist seeks to bring to our attention in this psalm. In Psalm 119 and verse 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Again, this is another principle that really should bring us a great deal of comfort because this is the idea of something that, is being, that has been firmly fixed. There are a lot of things in life that are not firmly fixed Things change almost daily, and uh, things that we don't want to change, change almost daily. But while things change here on earth, the psalmist points out the fact that God's word never will. It is firmly fixed, and it will not change even into eternity. He describes God's word as light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. He says that uh, the entrance of your words give light and it gives understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, verse 130. In darkness, there's danger, but God's word is a light in the darkness. It's a compass that guides us and steers us in the right way. So no wonder then the psalmist will say things like, I hope in your word. Psalm 119, verse 74. Hope. It's defined as a realistic expectation. In our country, we talk a lot about hopes and dreams, which is just another way of saying wishes. But when the Bible talks about hope, and when the psalmist says, I hope in your word, what he means is that he looks at everything that the Bible says, and he places a realistic, a real confident expectation on every word that is uttered in its pages. The psalmist will say that he uh, to, the psalmist says to the Lord that he has made a promise to keep his word. Psalm 119, verse 17. 
He trusts in his word. Psalm 119, verse 42, and he stands in awe of his word. Psalm 119 and verse 61. God's word is described in that fashion 24 times in the book. It is described as God's word, but it is also described as law, God's law. 25 times in Psalm 119, the word law is found in reference to the word of God. And this is an interesting word for a number of reasons. First of all, the term at its base level, the term law in the Old Testament generally refers to direction or to instruction or to a written code. You've probably heard the word Torah or Torah, and that's the Hebrew word that, uh, from which we get our word law. Most often in the Old Testament when it's used, it refers to either the Mosaic law as a whole But sometimes it can be in reference to just one single command that is found in the whole law. So again, it's direction or instruction or written code. It can be in reference to the whole of the law or it can be in reference to a single part of the law. But again, the word basically means teaching and it refers to any set of regulations that are taught and it's the standard by which man ex- or, excuse me by which god expects man to live you might note in psalm 19 not 119 but in psalm 19 verse 7 to 10 the psalmist says that it is the law of god that converts or turns the whole person to god the law of god is that which turns the whole person to god psalm 19 verses 7 to 10. Now a couple of more a couple more things about law and then we'll notice some passages in Psalm 119. First of all, when we're talking about God's word, we're talking about revelation. We call it special revelation, meaning that God has revealed his word to people in a special way by the inspiration of his spirit according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But the word law as it is used to describe the revelation of God, tells us that revelation is about more than just knowledge. Revelation is also about obedience. James chapter 1 and verse number 25. And so, we live in a world in which many people reject the idea of being bound by and answerable to a standard of any kind at all. It's called self-actualization. It's the idea of being non-conforming. People want to live how they want to live, and they don't want to be answerable to anyone. Well, the psalmist didn't get the memo. Because remember that the word law, the word law has to do with these regulations or these uh, rules, if you will, these, this code that God expects man to live by. He expects man to conform himself to his law. And listen to what the psalmist says about the people who conform themselves to his law. Look at verse 1, Psalm 119, verse 1. He says they're blessed. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. In verse 8, he says, I will, uh, I will keep, excuse me, not verse 8, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Think about that for a moment. 
We live in a world where people say, I don't want to have anything to do with law. Don't tell me anything about law. And certainly as it pertains to religion, religion is about how I feel and it's a relationship and I'll do it my own way. But the psalmist says, I want to see more from your law. Look at verse 29. Remove me from the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. Look at verse 34. Give me understanding and I will keep your law. Indeed, I will observe it with my whole heart. Look at verse 97. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And look at verse 136. Verse 136, rivers of water run down my eyes because men do not keep your law. When the psalmist uses the word law, he's not just picking a random, he's not just picking a random synonym out of a, out of a bucket somewhere and throwing it to the page. When he talks about law, he is talking about literally the written code. It's a set of regulations. It's the standard that governs humanity. And what does he say about it? We're blessed if we keep it. He says, I love it. He says, I want to know more about it. He says, I want to conform. I want to conform myself to it. And it breaks my heart. Psalm 119 verse 136. When people don't conform themselves to it. You may remember the uh, classic movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. And if you can remember that movie, you can remember the scene when Moses comes down from the mountain with the two tablets and he sees all the people with the golden calf and the character Dathan speaks out to Moses and says, we don't need your law, we're free. And Moses' answer is, without the law, and he's talking about God's law, there is no freedom. And that is exactly right. And that is exactly what the psalmist recognized, and that's what he's calling us to see as he describes God's word as law. Here's another word. The word is testimony. Testimony. 23 times in Psalm 119, the word testimony is used in describing the word of God. And the word testimony pictures the Bible as a witness in a trial. In fact, the root of the word testimony literally means to bear witness. And so when he describes God's word as testimony or testimonies, what he's saying is that God's word is his witness. God's word is God's testimony. Listen to what he says about it. He says, I will speak of your testimonies before kings and I will not be ashamed. Verse 46. I thought about my ways, and I turned my feet to your testimonies. Verse 59, the wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. Verse 95, I have more understanding than my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Verse number 99, one writer in talking about the word testimony in describing scripture made this statement. He said the outspokenness of scripture with its high standards and frank warnings is implied in this expression, but so too is its dependability as the word of the faithful and true witness. You see, if we think about 
if we think about a trial setting and we think about calling a witness before the jury, calling a witness before the court, who is the one witness that we could be absolutely certain would be faithful and would be true in his testimony? The answer, of course, is God. And in these passages, in this psalm, where the psalmist describes his word as testimony, that's exactly what he's describing. It's as if God is sitting in the witness stand and he is speaking. And so when he speaks, we know that we can trust what it is that he says. That's why the psalmist says, I can stand before kings. It doesn't matter who it is. It can be a king. It can be a congressman, a president, a senator. It doesn't matter. I can stand before kings and I can speak your testimony. I can speak your word and I will not be ashamed. That's why the psalmist can say, like he did in verse number 99, I have more understanding than my teachers. Why? Because the teachers he's talking about are referring to things of a physical nature. But he says, I know more than they do. Why? Because I'm taught by you. I meditate on your testimony and on your witness. The Bible as testimony. Here's the next word. It's the word precept. The word precept, this word is found 21 times in this psalm. 21 times the word precept is found in Psalm 119. And this particular word is similar to the word law because it refers literally to the responsibilities that God places upon people. The word precept refers to the responsibilities that God places upon people. So it has to do with regulation. It's like government regulation. In fact, it's exactly the same as government regulation. Our uh, uh, elected officials get together and they uh, come up with laws. They come up with regulations. And those regulations are rules and guidelines that people are supposed to follow. So when the Bible describes itself as a precept, it is literally talking about laws and regulations or rules and guidelines that people are expected to follow. You see, freedom, as we mentioned a moment ago, does not come with lawlessness. The psalmist longed to be attached to that which bound him by certain actions. That's quite an interesting thing if you think about it. Look at verse 27. He says, make me to understand your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Look at verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Look at verse 45. And I will walk at liberty, freedom. Why? Because I seek your precepts. Look at verse 93. He says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And how about verse 104? Through your precepts I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. Again, just like with the word law, we live in a time and in an age, really I guess it's been that way since the creation, where generally speaking, if you ask a person, do you, like to, do you want to be governed, do you want to have some rule or regulation over you, most people are going to say no. But then again, the psalmist didn't get that memo because the psalmist said, look, when I know and when I follow 
the uh, guidelines that you have set in place for me to follow, I live. When I follow those guidelines, I have freedom. And when I follow, the, when I follow those guidelines, I have understanding. And the more I understand of what you want, the more I hate that which is opposite of what you want. We may wonder sometimes, why is it that we struggle with sin within the body of Christ? Could it be because we've not uh, attached ourselves, we've not grown in our understanding of God's precepts and of what God wants? After all, that's what the psalmist says in verse 104. The reason why he hates that which is false is because he understands that which is true. If we don't hate, if we don't understand what's true, we'll never hate what's false. God's word is a precept. Here's, <clears throat> here's another word. It's the word statute. The word statute. The word statute is found 21 times in the 119th Psalm. The word statute. This word or the root of this word refers to scratching or engraving something in stone. It's like going to a, a cemetery and walking around the headstones and you see the epitaphs there that are etched in those stones. They're not going anywhere because they are, they are scratched or they are engraved in stone. So when the Bible speaks of, of itself as a statute, it is talking about the word of God as if it has been etched in stone. The, the emphasis is its permanence. Its permanence and its binding nature as law. I find it interesting that the psalmist some nine times in this psalm will say in a variety of different ways that he wanted God to teach him his statutes. He wanted to know more about the permanent binding word of God. He wanted to know more about God's will that has been etched and engraved in stone as it were and he promised to keep God's statutes, Psalm 119 and verse number 5. He promised to meditate on God's statutes, verse number 23. He promised to observe them continually, verse number 117. And he even loved them so much that he sang about them, verse number 54. Another word, two more and then we'll be done. Another word that the psalmist uses in this psalm is the word commandment. It's found 22 times. The word commandment or commandments are found 22 times in Psalm 119 and it describes the conditions or the individual requirements of the law. Now one writer said about this word that it emphasizes the straight authority of what is said. Not merely the power to convince or persuade but the right to give orders. So in other words, when we read the word command or commandment or commandments in this psalm or anywhere else in God's word, what should come to our mind is not just this is the guideline that God has given, but it should be the God behind the guideline. Because the word commandment emphasizes the fact that the person who gave it had the right to give it. So the psalmist says that the commandments of the Lord are faithful and they are right. Verse 86. Look at verse number 98. In verse number 98, the psalmist says, You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Not the enemies, but the commandments are ever with me. And so 
those requirements that God lays upon people, the psalmist says they have the ability to make us wise. In verse number 21, the psalmist says that the person who strays from God's commandments is rebuked. And in verse number 127, he says, I love your commandments and I made haste to follow them, number 160. And he was determined to keep them. Psalm 119, verse 115. Last word. It's the word judgment or judgments. It's found 23 times in the psalm. Judgment found 23 times in the psalm, and sometimes it is translated by using the word ordinance. It is a legal term that has to do with government and and justice. And here, this word is very interesting. This word has to do with decisions about what is right and what is wrong. You see, we live in a world that is unfair. We live in a world where it's very common for people to do things to other people that are just unjust, just unjust, that are just unfair, just unright. It even happens sometimes in the highest, at the highest levels. But when we look to the word of God and we look at this word judgment, what we're seeing is a word that reminds us that every time God makes a decision, that decision is fair and just and right. And that every time God looks at something, God has the ability to determine the rightness or the wrongness of a thing without prejudice. God's word being described as an ordinance or as a judgment tells us that scripture is the standard for determining what is right and what is wrong and what is just. So, as it pertains to how we interact with one another, as it pertains to what we often call interpersonal relationships, I think that's the uh, $10 word for it, meaning how we deal with each other. We want to make sure that we treat one another in a way that is right. We want to make sure we treat one another in a way that is just. We want to make sure that when we see something, we have a decision before us, and we're trying to figure out if it's right or wrong, Where do we go to make sure that we're fair and right and just and that we do what's right instead of what's wrong? We go to God's word because he's already made the judgment about it. The psalmist praised God when he learned of his judgments in verse number 7, and he tells us that every single one of God's judgments are good and right in verse number 39 and that they are enduring, Psalm 119 and verse 160. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of the synonyms that are found uh, that describe God's word in the 119th Psalm, but I want to, by way of conclusion, just summarize by reminding us the one common thread uh, of all of them. And that is that in every one of these words, every one of these terms that describe Scripture, every one of them reminds us that we have a responsibility to God to know and to conform to the statutes and the judgments and the testimonies and the precepts and the law, the word of God. Because every one of God's word, all of God's word, has a, a promise, if you will, attached to it. And the promises are found all throughout this psalm. We've looked at several of them this evening. The psalmist says over and over again things like, you're blessed, 
if you keep God's word. You, uh, know, you know God better if you know his word. You find joy and happiness in his word. You find life in his word. You find fill in the blank. There are all kinds of blessings that are attached to knowing and conforming. That means obeying what God has said. But then the opposite is also true. The psalmist also tells us that, that uh, God uh, rejects those who reject him and his word. And the psalmist tells us that if we're not going to listen to what God has to say, then we're going to become God's enemies. We're going to be walking opposite of what he desires. And instead of finding life, instead of finding life, we'll find death. And instead of finding freedom, we'll find, we'll find bondage. So the choice then is left to me and to you individually as to whether or not we're going to appreciate, we're going to conform to what God has said. Hopefully, as we look at these words, they help us in our understanding of what the Bible is really all about. It is a treasure. It is uh, true, and it is the Word of God, and it is that which, if we will love it and study it and meditate upon it and apply it to our lives, it is that which will provide us with the freedom and with the joy that God intends for every person to have. Tonight we offer the Lord's invitation, and maybe there's someone here that needs to respond. Maybe you are not a child of God and you would like to become a Christian this evening. We would love nothing more than to help you in doing it. But maybe tonight you are a Christian, and as you think about the Bible and your relationship to it, you say, you know, I've not, I've not respected God's word as I should, and I've not conformed my life to what the word of God says as I should. We want you to change that. We want to encourage you to change it, and we'd love to help you to do it. If you have need, come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing.